Hello and welcome to the Leathercraft Masterclass podcast. So this is the first podcast I've ever done. I've only ever listened to podcasts um, such as uh, Joe Rogan's podcast, uh, one by Gary Vaynerchuk, uh, Tim Ferriss is another good one. So I'm, I've always been a big fan of the ability to download a podcast, something that I'm interested in, whether it's... Um, business, creativity, the arts, anything like that, where I can download a podcast and then I can listen to it when I'm driving somewhere, when I'm at the gym working out, whether I'm doing something uh, continuous in the workshop where I don't need to think about anything for a while, maybe I'm stitching in a belt or something like that. Um, I think podcasts are great for that because you can do other things at the same time. And I feel like in this in this day and age, we're so busy with things that anything where we can do two things at once is always a bonus. Um, so unlike videos, for example, although I definitely recommend if you're watching one of my videos, my online tutorials, uh, you know, sit down and focus on that because if you don't focus, you're not going to learn much. But I also like the advantage of being able to listen to something I'm passionate about whilst I'm doing something that otherwise is a waste of time, like driving, say, to and from the gym or during the gym, I can listen to a podcast and I can be learning something about business that I didn't know before. I could be learning something about uh, a positive mental attitude or you know, millions of subjects that I like to listen to, um, so many different subjects. But, you know, it's dead space, driving to the gym, driving to London to pick up leather, um, anything like that, it would ordinarily be wasted time or I'm just listening to the radio, I'm not really learning anything or I'm not listening to something that I'm interested in. So that's where I think podcasts really excel and that's one something that I wanted to create. I did check out uh, to see if there was any anybody else doing podcasts and I couldn't, well, I could find two examples. One... Um, was a guy, I don't remember the name, I found it by searching on Google, it was to do with leather, and he did, I think like a 45 second intro, sounded like he recorded it on his phone, but it was quite some some time ago and nothing ever came of it, so I don't really consider that a podcast uh, as it stands, I don't know if, if the guy's gonna do something with it, or I don't know. And the other one was, I think it was Springfield Leather Company. I don't know if I got the name right. Um, I actually remember the video that it was from. I think it was a group of them, and they were sitting down talking about starting a leathercraft business and becoming a leathercraft entrepreneur. Um, and they ripped the audio from that and put it into a podcast. And that was quite some time ago that they did that. And nothing had been done since. So whether that is actually a podcast, I don't know. So I can't really say I'm the first to do it. But yeah, there'll be more than one episode. I can guarantee that. But uh, where I want to go with this, I want to not just do tool reviews, not just talk about running your own business, not just talk about skills and techniques, etc. 
um, I'd, I'd love to interview anybody interested in telling us their story, where they started from, because I think that is something that really doesn't get discussed. I mean, a lot of, I mean, most of you who are listening to this probably know about it through Instagram, but on Instagram, it's very, you don't really get the whole story. I mean, it's, it's pretty obvious that Instagram pictures that we see outside of Leathercraft, especially what you see is definitely not what you get in, in real life. That's not really a good example of the reality of that individual. And it's not that dissimilar with Leathercraft. We tend to see a very selected picture of somebody making something maybe, or even just, you know, a picture of a finished product and then a list of what they used and all that kind of thing. Like it's a baseball card, you know, it's it, a lot of it is just stats. But I think what people would be very interested in is learning about these people, the people behind the craft, the, the people behind the camera, uh, where they started from, you know, where the struggles that they had in the beginning, uh, the successes, the failures, uh, where they've come from, where they're going. And I think that's really fascinating, or at least it is to me. Because, you know, oftentimes when I'm doing... Uh, an Instagram live video, for example, half the questions I get are usually, or at least a good uh, a good proportion of them, is to do with how long have I been doing this? Uh, where did I start from? Um, am I am I full time in this? Uh, you know, questions about me and where I started. Um, you know, th and things like that. So, as much as people are interested in what I'm doing, I think. There are a lot of people that are interested in not how they stack up by comparison, but I think when you when you learn about another leather crafter and where they're from, what they're doing, where they're going, it gives you a good idea of where you are in your own craft, especially if you're looking to do this as a business. It gives you a good, I guess, indexing point. So that you can then go, okay, I need to start doing this or I need to follow this person and their strategy and what they're doing. So I think it's fascinating, and I know this from personal experience, to learn about people more than just what they do as a craft, but how they got there, why they do what they what they do. I mean, that's just as important. I mean, there's a guy who I follow, uh, he's he's really good uh, business uh, entrepreneur. His name is Simon Sinek. Uh, I don't know if he has a podcast. Uh, a lot of people do these days, but um, I'm sure he's definitely been on a few. But he coined the phrase, people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it, which is very interesting. Um, you know, it's like if you go to buy a new car, for example, and you look at a car, you're imagining yourself in it. You're imagining yourself driving, maybe with your significant other. You're imagining what people think of you whilst you're driving it. Maybe you're buying, I don't know, an SUV and you're imagining driving off-road on it. The window's down, the wind in your hair. You know, all these things are going through your mind. You're buying emotionally first. And then you'll ask the salesperson to justify with logic. Oh, what's the miles per gallon on this? And, you know, what's the resale value? And all these kind of questions. And it's all, you know, those are all facts and figures, but we buy emotionally. And I think that it's important to get to know the emotional side almost of the trials and tribulations of what it takes to become 
a full-time leather crafter or at least someone who's successful in leather craft, whether it would be mastering something, whether it would be um, having a, a, a successful business, whatever your definition of success is, people want to know, you know, the, the struggle, where you came from, where you're going. And I think that's very, very important. So that's going back to um, interviews. That's why I really want to get the interviews going. So if any of you are interested in portraying your story uh, behind your craft, behind what's going on, behind the curtain almost, then please get in contact with me. DM me on Instagram or contact me, philip at leathercraftmasterclass.com. Um, and I'd love to hear your stories. I really would. And I think people would also love to hear it. Um, not just, you know, as entertainment, but also, you know, you might start to pick up similarities in you know oh yeah that's what I wanted to do and that's what I thought about doing and I never did that and now I wish I did and you know that you you start picking up or things like you know where they started from like today I had a journalist well she used to be she used to be a big time journalist for a London famous London newspaper she now runs Faversham Life online magazine bit of a pet project for her but she came over and she interviewed me interested in my craft and you know where I started from why I started it and you know the things that I do and it was very interesting because she said that years ago she about 20 years ago she interviewed interviewed a man called Bill Amberg now some of you might know this guy he's very famous especially in the UK he has a large leather goods company half of it is you know, bags and briefcases and wallets and, and, and accessories like that. And the other half is more architectural type leather leather work. So we're talking leather floors, leather, leather walls, leather staircases, leather handrails, you know, you name it. This guy wraps it in leather. And she's telling me about humble beginnings, how he first started out in a small shed. And the interesting thing is he first started out by making a knife and then he made this knife in his shed in his garden and then he decided ah i want to make a sheath for this so he got some leather made a sheath and then forevermore that was you know he found his his passion what he was interested in and the really interesting part about that is that is exactly my story i lived in ontario at the time many years ago now and i decided to make a knife and I made it out of an old file, a friend of mine owned a forge. Um, so I went there and, you know, made a knife. Then I decided I'd go to a leather shop and buy some vegetable tan leather, checked a few online tutorials, looked at molding leather and things like that, and had way more fun making the sheath than I did the knife. It was, you know, it was this crazy medium. The things that you could do with leather was incredible. I never realized. And But it was very interesting to me how this you know leather entrepreneur this you know big businessman now he's you know a very very successful individual but he started with exactly the same very much exactly almost exactly the same story as me instead of a shed i was in an apartment in dundas ontario but it was just fascinating to me that this guy had started out in the same way that i did and you know there's a connection with that and that's one of the reasons that I really want to get the interviews going is so that I can kind of give these people a connection to people that perhaps they look up to. 
So moving on to today's subject or this week's subject, veg tan versus chrome tan. Um, it's a very interesting subject. It's something that I get asked a lot. Um, so I thought it would be remiss of me not to mention it in this podcast. Vegetable tan leather versus chrome tan leather is very interesting because it's something that divides leather crafters quite a lot. People tend to see vegetable tan leather as something altogether a bit more rustic. Um, it's generally easier to work with. It's definitely easier for beginners to get the hang of their skills with vegetable tan leather. It holds well, so it skives easily. It marks easily for, you know, stitching with an awl. It's uh, it's tough, it's durable, it stays still, it holds together to make a structured bag. You know, you don't have to think about things like stiffeners and interlinings and, you know, certain types of reinforcement. It's uh, it's definitely an easier, easier medium to work with. Chromium tan leather tends to obviously, for anyone who's worked with it, it's a lot softer, it stretches more, it's more flexible, it's generally more water resistant, it comes in more vibrant colors, um, it tends to be usually quite uniform in color, and it's definitely a preference of more European style leather work, um, creating you know soft-sided handbags, soft-sided briefcases, uh, laptop cases, um, certain wallets and things like that. But it's definitely much, much harder to work with in general. Some people might disagree with me, but, you know, skiving it is very, very difficult by hand. Um, stitching it, it's not overly difficult, but anyone who's worked with it will know that when you've uh, used a pricking iron, uh, it tends to heal very well and makes it more difficult to see. The marks are difficult to see. So... What do I think is better? And that's a question I get a lot. Uh, and it's a really hard one to answer because I don't find one better than the other. I just find them completely difficult and um, completely difficult, completely different. I tend to work with both about 50-50. I don't tend to prefer one over the other. I think they're both good, but for completely different reasons. If I was going to make an attache case, I wouldn't have I probably wouldn't use soft chrome tanned leather over a wooden box frame um it you know it's it doesn't really go with the look it doesn't mean it wouldn't work absolutely it would but on the, on the same token I wouldn't make I wouldn't make that many women's handbags from thick hard vegetable tanned leather it doesn't really go that being said there are lots of people who have blown those so-called rules out the water, those unwritten rules, and made something entirely unique and special. But there is no one better than the other. I mean, you can do certain things with vegetable tan leather, like burnish the edges, for example, or wet forming, and you can't do that on chrome tan. But at the same time, if you want to make something water resistant and um, that doesn't discolor if it gets wet, and, you know, so many other, other things, it's Chrome tan leather is, is very, very good for that. The main issue with chrome tan, though, is you will have to use some kind of interlining to give it structure. So if you're making, um, say, a handbag and you want it to stand upright and hold its, hold its shape, then you are going to need some kind of interlining. 
you know, Texon being one of them, Salpa um, leatherboard being another. Chrome tan tends to be a bit slouchy, so it doesn't hold its shape too well. So if somebody comes to me and says, what do you think I should start working with? It really depends on the style and what you want it to do. And I always recommend, certainly if ever I have students come into the workshop, I, first things first, explain the different kinds of leather and show them, you know, different extremes from very, very soft kidskin suede to something very, very firm like uh, five millimeter oak bark tanned leather, which is more probably closer to wood or board than uh, anything else. Uh, makes great floor tiles and uh, shoe soles. But, um, you know, it, it blows people's minds the vast difference between all the different kinds. And then I'll bring out some exotics and show them what alligator looks like. Uh, Stingray, which is always a crowd pleaser. It just blows their mind that, you know, you'd have these bony plates or spheres on top of uh, leather or skin. It is, you know, it it's, doesn't look remotely related to, you know, something like lambskin. So there's such a vast difference and they all have their different working characteristics. And one of the things that I like to do is get people to try stitching different kinds of leather, creasing different kinds of leather, edge finishing different kinds of leather, skiving different kinds of leather. They cut differently, skive differently, and each has its own unique characteristic. And you can never say that one is better than the other. They are unique in the fact that some serve their purposes in one area better than others do. And the craft is deciding which area a particular leather serves better in. And that comes with experience. But in order to get that experience, you need to try working with them. So anybody out there who's interested in starting leather craft, perhaps you're quite interested in it, but you've only dabbled, Try getting different kinds of leather. I mean, at worst, you can go on eBay and you can buy leather pieces. Chrome tan leather, veg tan leather, exotic leathers. You can actually buy pieces quite cheaply. I wouldn't recommend a regular eBay supply um, when it comes to making leather goods, you know, especially to sell and things like that. I'd always recommend going to a tannery. And I say this to everybody. If you can, go to a tannery go to a leather supplier, go through the hides, and then think about what you want to make. So, you know, I always think, okay, I need a bag. So I need large areas without blemishes. I need, you know, the panels and the gussets of a bag. I don't want any blemishes. So I need a hide. I don't care how much rubbish is around the edges, how many marks and scars and things like that. But when it comes to making watch straps, if I'm looking for, say, a calf hide or something like that, it can I can go for a lower grade that's covered in blemishes, but there's plenty to cut out for small pieces in between. So it's always good to be able to go to a tannery for these benefits and more. Sometimes you can get a great deal that you just wouldn't have got online because when you're in person, you know, if they want to build a relationship with you, they might then throw in something extra for free. So, and I've had that many times, you know, you can go there and you can build a relationship with a tannery or supplier and they can, uh, and they can give you discounts on things and, or, you know, it's, you never know until you go there, but if you can go in person and pick up your pieces, then it's definitely better and you're going to get a much better education and you can speak to people who specialize 
in working with you know buying leather and what's good where it comes from who makes it and it's uh, definitely an education but if you're starting out if you're considering starting leather craft or maybe you've just started and you want to try a different kind of leather ebay and amazon i mean you can get some really good pieces on there or even contact um somebody that you follow on instagram just say you know is it possible to buy a piece off you would you mind um you you know generally you're going to pay a bit more if you buy one square foot you, you know it's you're not going to get the same price as you would buying an entire hide there's always a markup but overall it's a it's a much cheaper way to realize that you don't like that kind of leather or you might buy it realize that it's amazing uh, it's the best thing you've ever worked with now you know where you need to go what supplier what kind of leather that you like and and you know what thickness and things like that so it's definitely worth you know asking an artisan if you can buy a piece off them don't be offended if, if they say no uh, I do get asked quite often. Sometimes I say yes, sometimes I say no. Generally, if people are willing to come by my workshop, then absolutely. Uh, but I don't tend to send uh, a piece to uh, other countries. But eBay, Amazon, great places to just find scraps and, and then work with it. So coming back to the question, vegetable tanned leather versus chrome tanned leather, what is better? There is no one better. And many of the pieces that I create um, are a mixture of both. Uh, for example, I am looking at a society briefcase laptop bag that I made. It's uh, Italian uh, chrome tan leather hide on the outside, which has been uh, which has an interlining, so it's structured, it holds shape. The, uh, the shaps where it attaches to the bag are made from Stingray and the handles themselves are made from uh, vegetable tanned leather and it all works together. All of them are black um, so it flows quite nicely but I prefer stiffer leather for handles. I like the fact that there's something interesting going on with a Stingray but I do like the smooth, soft texture of chrome tanned leather on the outside and on the inside is a blue suede. So... You know, it's I like to use a combination of different kinds of leather in the same piece for different reasons. So it you know, it really does involve experimenting and finding out what works for you, being curious, not accepting the way things are, not accepting the the status quo, just because everybody's doing it doesn't make it the best way. You know, m many times not knowing that I couldn't do something involve me experimenting and experimenting until I realize, yes, it, it can actually be done. You know, I remember when I first started out, I was looking at all these people making watch straps from Stingray. I think it's, it's amazing how, how I can't even see the stitching. Where's the stitching? So I'm looking at this, I'm, I'm zooming in and I can't see the stitching. So I try it out and I'm stitching Stingray and there's like the stitchings all over the place. Obviously you've got these, these, you know, unsanded Stingray, these spheres and the threads going over the top. And I'm thinking that's going to wear out and go for, for a start. How are they doing this? How are they doing this? So I began modifying tools, specifically dentist tools. And I found a way of stitching it where the thread wasn't visible at all. It was invisible. And it took me ages to work out, yet on the inside of, of the watch strap, 
the stitching was perfectly consistent. It was perfectly straight. But on the outside, you can't see it. And I thought, I finally found out what they were doing. And then upon further investigation, I found that no one's actually stitching it. It's just glued with an edge finish. Um, and if anyone's stitching it at all, it's up near the spring bar or down near the end of the buckle side tab. And I thought to myself, ah, oh, okay. So I, <laughs> I just found something out by accident because I thought that's what everyone was doing. And it took me ages to figure out. And I was so frustrated that I couldn't do it. And it was obvious that there was stitching. And then in the end, I found a way of making it completely invisible. Completely by accident. Because I thought that's what everyone was doing. But that's not. <laughs> Obviously, you can you can stitch sanded stingray. You just smash a pricking iron through it. And it will eventually give. Because you've weakened it by sanding off the enamel surface. Which is as hard as tooth enamel. Underneath its dentine. Which is slightly softer. So once it's sanded, yeah, you can you can smash a pricking iron through there. Just be careful because it's sharp and your thread will break very easily. But um, sometimes when you don't realize it's impossible, you find a way of doing things. And it's interesting because I find some of the best artisans in the world, the most creative artisans working with leather, people that have done something different or created waves in the industry aren't necessarily classically trained or trained a particular fashion house. They started out as an autodidact, as somebody who was self-taught and just had a thirst for knowledge and experimenting and trying new things. And sometimes when you don't realize something is not technically possible, you make it possible through sheer ignorance. And, and I find that a fascinating process and it's something that's happened more than once in uh, in my own craft as well i mean one of the most fun things for me is is finishing off finishing the day um i finish stitching a bag or doing whatever i'm doing and then i will go uh, i'll go after the house in a minute i'll go and have dinner uh and then i'll think ah there's a scrap piece of leather i just want to try something out i want to try it out and just see if it works is it possible can I do it this way? You know, and I'll just spend 15, 20 minutes and I test it out and it doesn't work. And I think, what, what if I tried it this way? Um, then I'll modify it slightly. And this, this has happened so many times and so many different things. And you can learn so much in just a few minutes, essentially dicking around, just playing around with different mediums, with with uh, different materials and just seeing what effects they have and what changes they make. I mean, I'm sitting next to two pieces of leather here and I've tested out whether I can stiffen it with a, uh, a more traditional uh, way of adding structure to a bag, a leather bag, and that is to directly glue cotton canvas onto the leather. And then once it's dry, then saturate the cotton canvas with, say, PVA glue. And it fuses the fibers and then stiffens and reinforces it. And that's actually a very traditional, obviously back in the day, they wouldn't, they would have used hide glue. That's a very traditional way of working with soft leathers, even soft uh, vegetable tan leathers, um, like goatskin, for example, even though it's veg tan, they generally are softer and thinner so they you, just because it's veg tan you won't necessarily get a structured bag 
So um, that was one of the traditional ways of doing it. But I thought, hmm, can you use PVA and do, and do that? And what thickness uh, works? I'm not saying I'd necessarily use it over a dedicated um, material designed for interlining. But in a pinch, yes, it does work. And there's many people around the world uh, from various countries and they don't have access to some of these top brands that sell specific interlinings and reinforcements and things. They're very, very niche products. And a lot of them don't actually work with individuals. You'll need a VAT number. You need to be a, uh, you know, an established brand to work with. Uh, minimum order quantities can sometimes be extremely high. And if you're, you know, living in a, a country where that kind of thing is difficult to export or, you know, you could be in a situation where you just can't afford to buy 15 meters of a substance that you don't know is going to work or not. Then, you know, just by experimenting with some cotton canvas that you can buy almost anywhere and then gluing it to leather and then saturating it with glue afterwards. Yeah, it does work and you can fold it and it recovers as well. It's not like cardboard. It doesn't take a crease. But I found that out and now that knowledge is banked and I may never use it or somebody may come to me and say, hi, I don't have the option of buying interlining. Do you know another way of doing it? Hmm, yes, I do. Here's how. So experimentation is definitely key and definitely something I recommend you work with. So veg tan versus chrome tan, experiment. Try buying some, try messing around with it, try different techniques and see how it works for you. So that's it for this week's podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you've got any tips or anything that you want discussed in future podcasts or you'd be interested in doing an interview, then please get in contact with me. Um, I really appreciate feedback, uh, even constructive criticism. I'm very open to if there's something that you don't like or something that could be improved. I am all ears, always willing to learn. This is the first. I've never done it before. So, hey, give me feedback only helps. So appreciate your time, guys. And as always, if you're interested in doing courses, any of my courses, head to leathercraftmasterclass.com and see if there's any courses that might help you with your craft. And as always, any questions, send me a DM or contact me, philip at leathercraftmasterclass.com. Thanks for listening, and I will see you next week.